morning, we are starting a new series, and it's going to be a great series. Um, we, we've been talking through some of this stuff. We've been finished up this last series on legacy, and um, this series is really about diving down deep into who we are. It's, it's about that iceberg and doing more than just living with that tip of the iceberg and kind of walking through that to find out what's really going on on the inside. Um, We've all been through our journey, and if you've been on the journey with Christ for any amount of time, you know that there are points of frustration. You know, there are, parts of cele- there are points of celebration for you, but there are parts of frustration too. Uh, for me, on my journey, um, I- I've, since I met Christ and I decided I want a new story, I want a new way of life, I love Jesus, and I wanted my life to be like His. You know, I, I didn't want to just mimic it. I wanted my life to be like, authentically like His, and I want to have an impact on people. You know, you, want to, you don't want to leave a mark on this world that's a good one, like we talked about in the Legacy series. You know, leaving behind a legacy that, that changes people's lives because they've met God through you. But if you really desire that, then there are these points of frustration in your life. You're like, yikes, why is this not working? Like, why are things not changing for me? You know, I did all the shoulds in my life, and it's part of the journey. Um, you know, this tip of the iceberg, the stuff above the water, you begin to do the things that you should, like you should pray and you should clean up your language, and you should go to church, and you should be baptized, and you should read your Bible, and you should have that you know, devotional time, and you should, and you should, and you should. And those things helped along the journey. They were good things. But at some point, I was still doing them, and there were these parts of my life that were still frustrating, you know? Like at work, I'd be at work, and there'd be a meeting going on, and someone would be like, totally like just you know you have those people in the meeting who just like they're totally wrecking everything you know their agenda is not really even to help the company they just it's like i don't know they just they're just doing their thing and you're impatient with it and you start to feel something well up inside of you and it feels a lot like i want to take a hammer and smash your head right now right like some of you laughed so there's not just me who has some of these you know but you realize as a christ follower so so you know those emails you write sometimes and then you delete because you're like, oh, I can't really send that? See, I used to send those, okay? <laughs> and you realize afterwards, like, I'm trying to follow Jesus. That was not following Jesus. There's still this junk inside of me going on that's really frustrating in my spiritual life. Like, I remember there were so many times on my journey where I, I've been, I was preaching and I get up to preach and I was so nervous because... Everything was at wreck inside of me. There was so much stuff at stake that I did not understand what was going on. And going on this journey changes that. I don't deal with that the same way. In fact, it made a huge transformation. God transformed some amazing things in my life, even in preaching, because I was willing to go on this journey. And in my family life, you know, you, when I became a new father, you know, that's, that's a, it's a big deal. And when you're walking through that, you realize, like, you think you have it all together until things go south with your kids, you know, and they push you to the edge, and you realize there is something still very dark inside of me lurking around, right? Suggesting things that I know I should not do, right? And I'm, I'm resisting it with all my might, but it goes on. And if you're like me, it creates a gap. It creates a gap between what you believe the Bible says about being a Christ follower and what's really happening below that 10% surface that people see down underneath. And it's tip of the iceberg living, where we are more respectful, we're nicer, we're attending church, we're doing the things we need to do on the surface, but underneath the roots and depths of who we are remain unchanged and unmoved. It's frustrating. And it doesn't just affect us in a few areas. It affects us in a lot of areas. And I want you to take a look at this video by Pete Scazzaro. It's a just a little clip from the small group, the home group uh, series that some of you will be watching this week. Uh, He does a really good job of just explaining a few more symptoms of what unhealthy spirituality, unhealthy emotional states do to us. Let's take a look. Before I prescribe this pathway, it is essential for us to clearly identify the primary symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality that wreak havoc in our personal lives and our churches. The following are the top 10 symptoms indicating if I or you might be suffering from a bad case of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Symptom one, using God 
to run from God. For example, applying scripture selectively to suit my own purposes and not that of me doing God's will. Symptom two, ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. That is not being honest with yourself or others about the feelings, hurts, and pains beneath the surface of my life. Third symptom, dying to the wrong things. That is denying healthy God-given desires and pleasures of life. Things like friendship and joy and music and beauty and laughter and nature while finding it difficult to die to my self-protectiveness or defensiveness or lack of vulnerability and judgmentalism. Fourth symptom, denying the past's impact on the present. That is, not considering how my family of origin and significant people or events have shaped my present. Fifth symptom, dividing life into secular and sacred compartments. So I compartmentalize God in Christian activities, but I usually forget about Him when I'm working or shopping or studying or recreating. Sixth symptom is doing for God instead of being with God. That is, I evaluate my spirituality based on how much I am doing for God rather than His love and grace. Seventh, spiritualizing away conflict. That is, missing out on true peace by smoothing over disagreements, burying tensions, avoiding conflict, rather than disrupting false peace like Jesus did. Number eight, covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. For example, not speaking freely about my weaknesses, failures, and mistakes. Number nine, living without limits. For example, trying to do it all or bite off more than I can chew. And finally, number 10, judging the spiritual journeys of others. For example, finding myself occupied and bothered by the faults of others. Oh, would you like to check off a few of those? Had a couple of those in the bag. I know I did as I went through them. Like, oh, mm, you stop. You can stop at number three or four. Stop bringing it on, you know? But that's the gap. That's the gap that we want to fill. And he, Pete Scazzaro goes on in his book and talks a little bit about, like, listen to these statistics. It doesn't just affect us individually. It affects the body of Christ and what our culture gets to preview as life change. Here's the statistics from the Gallup polls. Church members divorce their spouses just as often as their unchurched neighbors. Church members beat their wives just as often as their unchurched neighbors. Church members' giving patterns indicate that they are almost as materialistic as people who don't know Jesus. Of the higher commitment evangelicals, 20% of them think that premarital sex, sex outside marriage, is acceptable. And 40% of the lower commitment evangelicals believe it's okay too. The underlying problem here, the problem of just addressing the 10%, is that the culture is impacting our faith more than our faith is impacting the culture. That people aren't really getting to see what life change really looks like because all we've been able to address is 10%. We haven't learned from those who have come before us, who have the desert fathers who paved the way for looking at contemplative spirituality and helping it come together with our emotional state and saying, here's what it looks like to be truly healthy and not just run so hard that we miss everything that God has for us. We have a problem, and that problem is tip of the iceberg living. It's, it's leading us to a way of life that compartmentalizes everything. You know, my devotions time, I have my worship time, I have my family time, I have my, my work time, I have all these different times, and I just hope this stuff, that the should stuff that I do, will somehow affect this other stuff. But it doesn't. Not in a way that is so revolutionary that people around me are going, what is going on? I want what you have. And that's what God desires to do in us. He desires to make those kind of changes in us. Lasting life change. We need to impact our culture. We need to impact our lives. And we need to allow God to impact us in a way that lasts and is revolutionary. It changes all of us, not just the way we look, but the way we feel and who we are. It says in 1 Samuel 16 that God desires not just an outward appearance change, not just things on the outside, behaviors to look good. God desires your innermost parts to be changed. He looks at your heart, and he examines it, and he says this is what's most important. What's going on in the interior of your person is what's most important. It's what will change everything. And so he invites us to take a, a look at that, and that's what we're going to do today. We're, um, this is just an introduction to an incredible series that will help you process all of this 
And we're going to start today just by looking at a snapshot of a man named Saul who lived many, many years ago in the Old Testament. And um, unfortunately for him, he's the poster child for unhealthy. Unhealthy emotions, unhealthy spirituality. And that's the problem about being a guy that someone writes about in the Bible. Like, all the truth comes out, right? So, like, you can be glad they're not writing the Bible today, right? Like, if your story was in there, you'd be like, yikes! Really? You had to record that for everybody to see? Happens for all of them. But there are things that we can glean from it and learn from it. So we're going to go dive into that today. So if you get out your outline today, we will dive into his story. And let's get started by talking about these two things, this emotional health and contemplative spirituality. But let's start with talking about emotional health. How do we develop emotional health in our lives? What is it? How do I get to emotional healthy? Well, let's start by just going, what isn't it? What, what is the way that we don't want to live? And we'll do that by looking at Saul. Now, let me give you a little backstory on Saul so you get the context of where we're diving in in 1 Samuel 15. Okay, so Israel, remember, we've been talking through legacy series, came out of Egypt, they were slaves, they went settled on a new land, God was giving them, Joshua helped them on that journey. And uh, now we're at a point where through a long time called the period of Judges, leaders like Samuel, who was a prophet and a priest and a leader, led Israel, right? Moses was the same type of leader, went to God, heard his voice. He was kind of the, the everything combined into one, but God was their king. Now, they're living in cultures where everybody else has a king but them, right? They feel like left out on, you know, like your kids, like, why didn't he get me? Why did he get that and I didn't, right? Well, that's what the Israel's doing now. Why do we get a dog and they get, you know, why do we get a chicken and they get a dog? What's going on? Why can't we have a king, right? God, come on, give us a king. And so God says, okay, I will choose a king. I am your king, but I will choose one. And so Samuel's job is to transition Israel from this time of spiritual leadership into a time when there'll be a king and he'll rely on the priest and the prophet for counsel and he'll lead the nation. So here's where we find Saul. God chooses Saul. He anoints him, he chooses him. Samuel picks him out of the crowd. Everybody knows he's the guy. And Saul gladly accepts the position, not for all the right reasons, just like us, right? Something comes and honors us. We love it. And we have some good motives, and we have some motives that are underneath, you know, going below the 10%, not so good, maybe not even aware of until we're actually doing that job. This is Saul. Saul gets appointed as king, and as is tradition, when you're appointed with king or you're, you're in that role of leadership, he gets his first challenge. You know, his first moment of, okay, it's time for you to step up as a leader now. And Samuel comes to him and gives him his first assignment. First assignment, go wipe out this nation who has been whooping up on Israel and other nations around them, has nothing redeeming left in their culture. They are just, they've been doing it for too long. And God says, enough enough. Your first job is to go take, take them out. And Samuel is very clear when he brings this instruction from God to Saul. His job is take them out, destroy everything, and take nothing with you. Everything they have is blood money, stolen from others. I want you to have nothing to do with it. Not the cattle, not the sheep, not the gold, not the people, like nothing left. This is very specific instruction for Saul, but he's a little bit like us. You know, you get God's instruction, sounds like, oh, well, I think I got the general idea, but there's a few parts of this God that need a little tweaking because people are going to think I'm nuts. So let me just tweak the plan a little bit. We'll still accomplish the mission. Just tweak it a little bit. And this is Saul. Samuel comes. He meets Saul after the battle. Battle was successful. Everything on the outside looks really, really good. And Samuel comes, and as he's approaching Saul, he hears sounds of cattle and sheep and sees people carrying some things and he's a little caught off guard by that he knew what God's instruction was so he approaches Saul confronts Saul about it this is where it picks up in first Samuel 15 Saul says but I did obey the Lord he insists I carried out the mission you gave me and I brought back King Agag but I destroyed everyone else so Saul's like hey Samuel what is your problem what is up with you? I, I did what God told me to do. I just brought back the king. I think that's actually a pretty good thing. I think that's what everybody, that's what you're supposed to do. You, you destroy the other stuff, you bring back the king. And, well, you know, yeah, sure. We, we took some other things. I mean, then my troops brought the best sheep and goats and cattle and plunder. But 
But, you know, we, we saw the other stuff, and we just brought the best stuff because, oh, yeah, we wanted to sacrifice that to God. See, that's why we brought that stuff back. It seemed kind of a waste to kill all, the, all those animals that were good. They didn't really, they don't know right from wrong. So, hey, we brought them back with us. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? And then he says this one word that is essential for Saul. Listen. Saul, you have not listened. You have not listened to God, and you have not listened to yourself. You have no idea what's going on in the interior of your life. And you have no idea how much you've destroyed your journey with God. He says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than the fat offering, the fat of lambs, rams. And then he goes on. Now remember, Saul simply tweaked the plan a little bit. Hey, that destroying everything, that didn't make a lot of sense. I, just, I still wiped everybody out. I mean, the culture's not coming back. We just took some sheep and some goats. What's the big deal? Samuel says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Was Saul outright rebellious? Did he say, God, I am not doing that. Now, that's ridiculous. I don't think we should do that. I think we should do Was he outright rebellious? What is Samuel talking about? Samuel's not talking about the 10% above the surface. He's talking about the 90% in the interior of Saul's life. There was a spirit of rebellion, of I I don't really need to listen to God fully. He wants Saul to address what's going on inside of him, deep in the interior of his life. It's it's a little resistant to it. He goes on and says, stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. Saul, your stubbornness in your heart, in the interior of your life that you have not admitted to. It's as bad as worshiping idols. It is taking you away from God. It is stealing God from your heart. And he says, so because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Wow. Saul struggles to consider that the problem that Samuel is confronting him about isn't about what he did on the outside. That their problem may lie within. And that there is something deeper going on. Saul doesn't know what it is nor is he able to address it. But we're not that far off from Saul. We all have times in our life where we make excuses. Hey, I wouldn't have done that, but so-and-so said this. They were really, they pushed my buttons. They put me there in that situation. I had to make that. I had to do that. We justify our behavior. We get to places in our life where we say, you know what? It's not my fault. I'm not going to accept responsibility for that. Or we refuse to confront a situation that is before us that we know needs to confront it. I'll just smooth it over. I'll just ignore that conflict because I don't want to deal with the stuff that's going on inside me. I don't even like the emotions myself, and I don't think that person's going to like them anymore. And I'm kind of afraid that when I get into that situation, it's just going to go south. We're more concerned about our image, about our reputation, than we are with God. That's Saul. So what is emotional health about? How do we get to a state where we have something good? Emotional health is simply this. It's loving well. Loving well. Loving God well. Loving others well. And loving yourself well. When you're not loving well, there is no emotional health for you. You don't know what's going on, but your behaviors show everything. And it's not until we get connected with what's underneath that we find God's love, His great love for us, and that it's so deep and so lasting and it penetrates and goes over and gives us peace and goodness in every part of our being. Until we get connected with that, our emotions continue to drive us in all different ways. But when we get connected with that, we begin to have a love for ourselves and a respect for ourselves that allow us to see ourselves in, in God's light. We, we begin to not just know that in our heads, when I chose Jesus, I became his beloved son, his beloved daughter. Instead of just knowing that in our heads, we begin to live it with our lives. We begin to feel it. And that's what we're talking about with emotional health, is allowing us to feel what God desires for us to feel. So why do we avoid it? Why do we try to not do any of this stuff? Well, 
you know, this week I was playing volleyball and we were playing and there was this, the other team was just had this incredible configuration, a great setter. They had two great spikers and man, this one guy was just, he was bringing them down. I mean, he was hitting them hard, like knock you over kind of hard. Hurts, doesn't matter where it hurts, hits you, it's going to hurt, right? And one of the gals beside me, she was she's a great volleyball player. He hits it hard, and it's coming about right here, right? So you can't bump it. You got, you know, it's just one of those like, what am I going to do with this? Except take it in the face or something, and maybe it'll, you know, maybe my face will bounce it the right direction, and I'll have a big red mark for the rest of my life. She like, as it's coming towards her, she just like goes like this, and it goes by, and then she looks at me like almost embarrassed, like, ah, I can't believe I just did that. I'm like, you know, it is human nature not to want to be hurt. <laughs> like, like, it's really okay. It's kind of human nature to say, I would rather not have a ball in the face. I would rather not eat that ball. And it's the same way for you and your emotions, right? Those things that are painful in your life, it's your nature to avoid them, to run from them, to say, I don't want to go there. And for some of you, you might even feel bad having them. Maybe you've been soaked in Christianity long enough that you've been told, you're not supposed to be angry. You're not supposed to have bad emotions. And so you say, well, I'm not supposed to, so if I admit to having them, I fall short. It's unspiritual. And you need to realize that God has given you those emotions, but he's also given you something else. And in 1 Timothy, he says that he has given you not a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. He has given you a great gift at how to deal with these emotions. He wants his life to intersect with your life so that you can be filled and be changed. But so often we have heard and learned this idea that emotions are dangerous, that we should not let them in the driver's seat because if we let our emotions in the driver's seat, they will crash our car. And so some of us have learned just pack them in the trunk. Well, they're not allowed to be in the driver's seat, so I guess I'll just pack them in the trunk because I'm not supposed to feel this way. I'm not supposed to be angry. I'm a Christian. So we pack them in our trunk, we just keep packing them in our trunk. And what we don't realize is that until we have a hold of our emotions, they will have a hold of us. They get a little steering wheel back there in the trunk, and they're still, ask anyone in your family, right? They all know, right? Stay away from dad, stay away from mom, stay away from that person. Like, they are grumpy, they are nasty, like, you don't know what's going to happen, right? They're, somebody lit the fuse, and it could go off at any time, right? Everybody knows. And so what we need to learn how to do is to allow those emotions into our life and recognize that our deepest emotions are the avenue by which God comes to us and he meets with us and he speaks into our lives. God wants to do that in your life. So you can't deny them. You need to allow him to come to you and you need to admit to those emotions so that deep revolutionary change can come to your life. So God can transform every single part of you. And that will take vulnerability and honesty about what's going on in your life. It's scary. But I think the point of what Jesus wanted to do on the cross was not the top 10% only. I think it was your whole person. I think it was how you think, how you act, and how you feel. God wants to transform it, and he can. If we'll be open to that. So what's underneath for you? What's going on down the underneath? I know some of you, I know I've been working some of this with, uh, with John and I have actually been doing some stuff, exercises together um, so with some other guys. And man, it's hard to find what's underneath sometimes. So I want to give you an exercise today. Something that I did at, at Pete Scazzaro's conference when I was there. It's really a helpful exercise because to be honest, part of emotional health is just becoming aware that something is going on. These are four questions beneath the surface that are incredible questions for you to ask, a great exercise for you to do daily. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do them today, to do one of them, just one of them today, to see, to just scratch the surface of what's beneath the surface. Start, I, I, what am I mad about? Great question to ask yourself. You might be surprised at what you're mad about and not even have known that it was there. And it might be driving some of your decisions. What am I sad about? What's going on in my life that I've got lost or I'm sad about and I need to allow God to speak to me about? What am I anxious about and worried and afraid of? And the last one is, what am I glad about? What do I have to celebrate that's going on that I've never taken time to be glad about and celebrate and allow God to bless me with? 
Would you take a moment right now and just pick one of them? Now, I know you're all tempted to just do the glad one, right? Because that's kind of the fun one. So let me encourage you to take a challenge today and do one of the first three, the, the mad, sad, or anxious, and see if something doesn't bubble up. I'm just going to give you two minutes of quiet. There is no place on your outline specifically designed for this for you structure people, okay? If you're looking for a place, like, where do I do this in my outline? You may pick any empty spot and write your answer. It may be bullet point or a paragraph, whatever you prefer. Take the next two minutes and just answer one of those questions. Just be quiet and see what bubbles up, all right? Go ahead. As you scratched the surface, what bubbled up? Came to, it came to your mind from your heart. There are places in our heart where we've not visited in a while or we don't take time to visit. God wants to address them. He wants to get beneath that surface and do significant, true, lasting life change. Now let me tell you one thing that's really frustrating for me. I have met people in my life that have never met Jesus, never go to church, don't do any of the shoulds that I've done for such a long time, and they are so much more balanced and stable than me. That is really frustrating, you know? But here's what you can learn from that. Here's what I've discovered is that there are plenty of people who have emotional health. They're more emotional healthy than I am. The problem is that they've never They've never allowed God to deeply transform those emotions. They're, they still don't feel the things that God wants to give them. They still don't, they've still not been released to be free, to be the person that God wants them to be. They love others well, but they still have the same issues that I have about loving God and loving themselves. And so we need a way, a combination, not just emotional health, not just an ability to relate to others well, to love others well, but we need more than that. We need the ability to allow God to speak into our lives, to slow down and hear his voice at the most deepest, most sensitive, most important feelings going on in our lives. And that comes through contemplative spirituality. So let's talk a little bit about, on this journey, how we combine emotional health and contemplative spirituality to make significant and lasting change in our life. What is contemplative spirituality? It's, it's different than what we've experienced in our own lives. It's different than the top 10% where we do things and we work on the outside to make it better. Contemplative spirituality is not compartmentalizing things. Okay, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. So this plus this plus this equals, you all have those places in your life, right? If I do this and this, then my family will do this. 
then my wife will do this, then God will do this. This is not contemplative spirituality. This is not a, there's no formulas in your relationship with God. Contemplative spirituality is beginning to look at your life. There are no secular places in your life. All of your life is sacred. All of your life belongs to God and you to work out. And so contemplative spirituality is, is a way for you to slow down and take pauses throughout your day, throughout your week, so that you can be anchored to God's love. Get that? It's a way for you to slow down and to take pause, to rest in God and be anchored to His love. God wants nothing more than you to be anchored to His love. And all of those emotions, those things underneath the surface that are going on and are in turmoil, you cannot deal with them the way God wants you to. And more importantly, you can't even see them and feel about them the way God has given you this gift to feel and see them until you're anchored in His love, until you know for certain His perspective on it. So let's go back to Saul for a second. We have Saul. We've read this basic passage on Saul. There's some verses in the middle that we skipped. You should read the chapters surrounding 15 and 15 itself. It's really fascinating. We have Saul, this leader that's appointed by God, and God actually says that he has chosen him, and he, he says specifically that he has anointed him to be king. Which are pretty important words. What do you expect if God chooses you and anoints you? Expect things to go pretty well from there, right? Like, if you know that you're chosen and appointed, you're kind of expecting, like, well, I expect things to kind of turn out pretty good. Like, my story in chapter 15 is going to be a little bit better. Right? I'm, I'm not going to be the poster child for unhealthy spirituality. That's, that's kind of what I was hoping out of being anointed. And yet, Saul is this self-destructing leader. As you read on in Saul's life, you see him possessed by evil spirits. You see him as this person who's got this fused, no one, everyone's walking on eggshells around him because you never know when he's going to pick up a spear and throw it at you. I mean, this is bad. Like, he's not just going to yell at you, right? He's not just going to fire you. He's going to kill you. This is a this guy is totally unaware of what's going on in his life. Why? What is happening for him? Why isn't he an amazing leader? Let's look at verse 21 for a second. We're not, we just want to do like the ESPN highlight reel and look at some glimpses into his life of what's going on. Saul claims this in verse 21. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep and cattle and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord my God at Gilgal. Wait, is that what it says? says, your God, the Lord, your God. Wow. One word makes a big difference. Saul has been living off of other spirituality for way too long in his life. He's lived off of Samuel's spirituality. He's lived off of the priests, the prophets, all the people around him. And he has not cultivated a secret life with God. He has not been anchored to God's love in any way because it's somebody else's God. How many times are we guilty of that same thing? Living off of other spirituality in our small group and those around us and kind of coasting, feeling like the 10% is doing pretty good without ever being anchored in our soul with a secret time with God to His love. It goes on and says in verse 24, Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I sinned. Okay, okay, Samuel. Lay off. Okay, fine, I'll admit it. I sinned. I have disobeyed the instructions and the Lord's command. But wait, there's more. I was afraid. These are key words in this passage. I was afraid. You see, Samuel, it's not really my fault. I was afraid of what the people would do. I was afraid of what they would think. See, I want to be accepted by God. It's not really my problem. I, I need to be accepted by people, and I didn't know what they were going to do. You kind of handed me this ball of mess right here. I've got to figure it out. And he goes on to say in, verse, in the next follow, verses that follow, then Saul pleaded again, okay, I know I've sinned, but please at least honor me. Please honor me before the leaders. Don't you see, Samuel? We won. I mean, I know you don't like the way the game turned out, but... When last time I checked the score, we won. Can't you just honor me? Can't we just celebrate the success a little bit? Can't we just get by all this other stuff? 
because I'm more concerned about my success than I am about my obedience to God, about God himself. He's got problems. See, he wants to look good to people. He's concerned with his image. He wants to be accepted by others, feel valued. He wants success. He wants to be successful and know that what he is doing makes a difference. Does this sound familiar to you? Isn't it something that you want as well? Isn't it some of the basic needs of people? What is Saul's problem? Why is this going so wrong for him? You know, in verse 17, there's this one line that is just fascinating when you read it. It just it jumps off the page at you. Samuel prays. He comes back to Saul in, in, in this confrontation where he's going to tell Saul about the stuff. And Samuel says to Saul, Saul, God picked you when you thought you were small. He anointed you to be king over Israel. What's Saul's problem? The very base underneath that 90% that he doesn't even recognize what's going on, and Samuel tries to point it out to him, down there beneath the surface, Saul, you still believe you're small. You still believe you're insignificant. And this journey of contemplative spirituality is about deconstructing those things that we feel about ourselves that we don't even recognize and that God needs to point out and God needs to anchor us in his love. That kind of living, like when you're working on your image, it's hard work, right? I mean, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You got married and you realized you had no idea how to dress, right? Like, you know, you got the line, like, you're not going to actually wear that, are you? No, no, I was practicing. Just wanted to see how this one fit. Yeah, go back to the closet and try again. You know, that's why I just, that's why I just wear jeans, because as I understand it, jeans go with pretty much every, anything. I can get away with anything with my jeans. But as soon as I try to dress up for anything else, I have to go and like do granimals with my wife. You know, like, can you pick something for me? I know I'll get it wrong. Image management is hard work when you're always at it, trying to make sure the 10% looks good because you're afraid of what will happen, what people will think, if you'll be accepted, if you'll be valued, if it doesn't. Acceptance. Saul says, I was afraid of people. Alex, have you ever been there? You ever said yes? when you wanted to say no. You've told someone, sure, come on over, when you were like, I don't want you there. You've you know, invited someone to a party or you've, you've said yes to doing something when you really know that you should have said no. Because you are, we are, more concerned with the acceptance of others. We're more, we think that others will be less forgiving than God, so we just do what they want. The 90% needs to change. Success. Saul is so concerned about success. Honor me. Did you ever meet one of those people who have higher expectations for themselves than God probably ever expects? You're looking at one right now. I have a problem all the time, and there's such anxiousness and turmoil that goes on inside me because I think I've got to live up here. God never said I had to live up here, but my heart is still being transformed. He is still deconstructing that belief that I have no value if I don't succeed. It's a very sad thing for me sometimes. But he has transformed so much already. And when I spend time with him, he anchors me in his love. And I recall again and again that my value is in him, that I am his beloved. And it's the gift that he wants to give to every single one of us to transform us at the deepest, most levels about how we feel about ourselves, about how we feel about others, and about how we feel about God. We need to take pause. And that's what contemplative spirituality calls us to, to take pause, to reflect, to listen, to listen to ourselves, what's really going on, and to listen to God and what God wants to speak into our lives. Now, as a pastor... I have met a lot of people in ministry and serving them and listening to where they're at. And they want to change. They really do. They want their life to be different. 
but I have met far fewer people who are willing to go down below that 10% and actually experience change because it is much, much more difficult. And sometimes the sad reality is this, until the pain of where we're at is unbearable, we will not move forward. So where are you at this morning? Are you just going to live at the 10% layer? You know, we, we often have lived our lives, many of you have been in evangelical community or been in this culture long enough that you are like the factory worker. You know, you get the list of things that God's told you to do, and you do them. And you say, if I do these things, a widget will come out on the other end, and it will be good. And looks, I can show other people, look, isn't that good? Isn't my life valuable? Doesn't that thing work? And never have enjoyed it myself. And we instead need to be farmers who embrace the mystery of God. Who know that we need to cultivate deep down in the interior of our life an environment where God can speak to us. A place where He can address the most deep and scary and good and all of those emotions in our life. And when you're a farmer, you plant and then you wait. And you wait. And you wait. And you depend on God. You can't change things, but you can create an environment. You can cultivate the soil. And when that crop comes, it's not a widget that goes out the other end of the product factory that people see. It's a fruit, a vegetable that you get to enjoy, that is a part of you, and just by natural consequence, you share with others. And it gives life to you. Isn't that what you want? To have God do those deep works in you that give you life, true life. But many times we we were more like this illustration that Pete Scazzaro says where we are so busy in our lives, we have this big thing of activity, like that top diagram. And the amount of contemplation time we have with God is this compartmentalized time. And so our life is all askew. We don't know where it's going, and every day is a little different, and it's all over the place. But God invites us to have contemplative spirituality and have it in balance in our life so that we spend time all the time with God so that there is activity in our life and there is contemplation taking pause in our life so that when they come together, God's already spoken to our heart. And we're not unaware and just going off and doing things, but we're very much in the presence of God. The question is not just are you slowing down. The question is are you paying attention to God? he desperately wants you to. He desperately, he invites you to. And you don't want to miss his invitations. Look what happens when you do. In, in Samuel 15.35, it says, Samuel never went back to meet with Saul again. But he mourned for him constantly. And the Lord was sorry he had ever made Saul king. That is not the legacy I want to leave. How about you? So it doesn't have to be our legacy. God invites us to dive beneath the surface to allow him to transform us in beautiful ways, to explore the beauty, the mystery, the pain, and the goodness that is underneath. And that's what we're going to do over the next six weeks. I, ex- I encourage you to explore it. This is quoted in your outline. It says that brooks become crooked because they take the path of least resistance. So do people. It may be really tempting for you to just, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. I want to encourage you, will you take up the challenge over the next six or eight weeks to explore what's beneath, to allow God to transform you in a deep way? The solution to this tip of the iceberg living is this life of peace where people look at your life and they go, okay, that guy is not just doing things on the outside. He's deeply being changed. He has the very nature of God because he's emotionally healthy. He loves others well. He loves God well. And he's spiritually, contemplative spiritual. He knows contemplative spirituality. He's taking pause to be with God and be anchored in his love. In just a minute, we're going to close. So let me challenge you to a few things. We're going to close a little differently. We're going to read some scripture over you. It's 
a man named David's prayer. David was a king later in Israel's history who did lots of stuff wrong, but was called a man after God's own heart because he took pause. In the deepest parts of his being that were painful and hurt, he took pause to be anchored in God's love. Today you might be discouraged because you've added on plenty of things in your life already and been discouraged and defeated by just one more thing. You're kidding me. I have to do one more thing. If I have to do one more thing, I'm just never going to make it. And my advice to you today is to stop doing one more thing and to start living a life that's not compartmentalized but that all belongs to God. To begin to be a farmer and cultivate the deep things in your life. Some of you might be skeptics where you're like, I don't know about this whole gig, you know. I, I don't know about this whole warm and fuzzy thing. I'm kind of comfortable up here on the 10% of the top of the iceberg. It's kind of nice up here. you got a good view. I don't know why I need to go down there. May I challenge you that even when you don't feel it, the people around you do. Will you go down there and take up the challenge simply because God wants to set free in you the person that has always been there and give that gift to the people around you? And by diving underneath the surface, you set free that gift. Some of you are ready. You know, like I've been hurting and waiting for this for a long time. And I want God's deepest transformation in my life. So today, even as the prayer is read over you, you just need to say yes to God and agree with him that you'll go where he asks you to go. Some of you might be exploring. You're new to faith and you're like, hey, I didn't even know there was an iceberg. And all the stuff you're talking about, it's all new to me. We just keep going on the journey with us. Some of it might be new. It might be different. You might not quite grasp it. But I guarantee you that God wants to meet you here. And he wants to revolutionize your spirit and your person. So take a moment of quiet. Listen and take in all that God has for you as they read this prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach your transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. And you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Despise a home. 
you know, today, um, 